listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, I've had a week. My week involved getting started Saturday night into Sunday morning. We had a really bad storm here in Oklahoma, uh, not even just the city, but really across the state and even down into some parts of western Arkansas. We had a really bad storm, and we were one of the 50,000 or so houses, 50,000 or so customers, uh, that lost our power. And we ended up losing our power for about two days or so. We got our power back after dinner on Monday evening. And uh, I'm thankful for the workers, uh, of course, who got out there and got that done. I could sit here and complain, I suppose, about how long it took, but uh, that's not those workers' fault. Um, And so I'm I'm thankful uh, for them getting out there and taking care of us. Uh, I'm thankful, of course, that we had somewhere to go. Uh, My in-laws, who live about a mile away from us, uh, had power the entire time basically and so we just went over there for a couple of nights and uh you know it all it all worked out i suppose but um yeah so we started our week by losing power uh and then uh, kelsey's not been feeling too well and so she became the first member of our family to undergo a coronavirus test and that is something uh that was not pleasant um at all for her and uh result came back negative which is of course the only really important thing here but uh i think she would uh she would tell you that you don't want to or that you should wear a mask not because you don't want to catch coronavirus but because you don't even really want to be tested for it after uh going through what she went through and so uh wednesday night was the first uh service at bridge creek uh, that I have not participated in throughout this entire pandemic because uh, for the sake of prudence, uh, we kept everyone uh, away from the church building because I don't think going to the church building, uh, going to a- attend uh, a service would have been a good idea while someone in our family had a pending coronavirus test. And so we ended up uh not going of course like i said she came back negative which is which is good um but yeah sam i i i had a week uh so i'm thankful to just be able to sit here and actually do this podcast because the the way the week started i wasn't sure honestly that it was going to happen i don't know chris i'm just hearing excuses for Lack of productivity here. I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of reading. Um, did a lot of reading this week. Uh, I finished Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials series uh, because I wanted to see why it was so controversial for myself, and I, I sort of get it now. Uh, and I'm also reading uh, a copy of Lance Mosier's uh, new work of fiction. I think it's called Searching for Branded Basin, uh, which will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And so I did a lot of reading because, you know, the Kindle's battery life is amazing. But yeah, I wasn't as productive this week as I'd hoped. Uh, 
I'd say when I started the week, but in reality, power went out about half an hour after the week technically started. So, um, you know who else had a week, Sam? Back in my day, we had to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who 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 had a week? Uh, the Washington Redskins. <laughs> they they certainly have... did. So the Redskins. Um, I thought when the week started that we were just going to make a passing mention of them uh, because when the week started, the discussion was about their name change. Uh, right. Sunday, the discussion was, okay, tomorrow, that is Monday, they were going to come out and announce that they were changing the name. Uh, and they did that, basically. They came out and said, we're no longer the Redskins. Uh, we're going to figure out what the name's going to be moving forward. But we're no longer the Redskins. And this is something that, uh, you know, there's been pressure, at least some pressure for some number of years now for Dan Snyder, the team owner, uh, and I believe the majority owner, uh, which is uh, meaningful here, uh, but the team owner, to change the name. And... Uh, you know, because it's been deemed offensive and, you know, change the name to something that isn't, uh, you know, that maybe doesn't even rest, uh, represent a particular ethnicity, let alone use a uh, derogatory term to refer to that ethnicity. And I thought when the week started that we would just mention that uh, and mention it in passing and maybe say, okay, that's, that's an all right move to make. And, uh, you know, we'll see how they handle it going forward. Um, you know, we might talk about some of the corporate pressure. You might've seen that Amazon and Nike, I believe both, uh, pulled all of the Redskins branded apparel, uh, and branded accessories from their shops. You can't buy anything, uh, with that logo. Uh, on either store, which is a big deal because merchandise sales are a huge part of the NFL's revenue stream. And I thought that was going to be what we, <clears throat> excuse me, what we ended up um, maybe just mentioning in passing. And then Wednesday night happened. And Wednesday night, I was up fairly late. And all of a sudden online, almost out of nowhere, a bunch of rumors started swirling about a Washington Post article uh, that would be published the next day about a ton of awful things going on in the Redskins organization. Uh, and these aren't exactly just burner accounts on Twitter um, uh, posting these. You had uh, verified uh, Twitter users, members of the media in Washington, basically saying, get, read for, get ready for a bombshell tomorrow. Um, this is big, and it's going to dwarf the, uh, it's going to dwarf the story about the name change. And sure enough, uh, yesterday, the Washington Post uh, and the article was done by Will Hobson and Liz Clark. The Washington Post uh, published an article entitled, From Dream Job to Nightmare. More than a dozen women allege sexual assault or sexual harassment and verbal abuse by former team employees at Redskins Park. Uh, 15 women in total, 14 uh, anonymous, as well as one Emily Applegate came forward and basically said 
that they were harassed and abused while they were working for the Redskins, um, while they were working for the Washington Football Club. Uh, And I I actually did the four-week, $1 trial subscription to the Washington Post so I could read the article, and it's pretty gross, Sam. Um, it's, it's, you know, we have this stereotype about how 13 year old boys, 12 year old boys talk about, uh, girls talk about women. And, and I don't want to normalize that and even say that that's okay, but there's an understanding, uh, that there's a very juvenile way that boys can talk about, uh, women, uh, how boys can objectify women and even at times talk to women. And basically if I can reduce the article uh, down to uh, its core point here, basically you had some pretty high up team executives uh, and the play-by-play announcer who resigned abruptly a couple of days ago, you had some pretty high up team executives acting like, 12 and 13 year old boys towards these women uh, which would be wrong in most settings and is especially wrong and especially inappropriate in a workplace setting um, and so th- this bombshell dropped yesterday some online mentioned that there's uh, there's potentially more coming but I'm not going to get too much into the details until uh, I see something uh, I see something substantial to talk about. Um, but this by itself is, I mean, it's massive. Uh, it is probably the biggest sports story of the year or sports related story of the year. Um, and it's pretty disgusting. Now it's worth noting at this point that uh, Dan Snyder, the owner, uh, and Bruce Allen, the until recently president of football operations for the Washington Redskins, uh, were not directly accused of any inappropriate behavior. It is also worth noting uh, that the women, uh, by and large, believe that they knew about what was going on, and they almost definitely should have known about what was going on. And so I'll be curious to see what happens here uh, because this is this is not just one or two incidents. This is a culture within this organization uh, that has been fostered for years and years. Um, uh, Emily Apple, Applegate hasn't worked for the team since 2015, uh, but came out and ran. Uh, you know, came out and made these accusations, and uh, many other women have come forward, and uh, other sources. The Athletic, which is just a fantastic. A sports journalism website. Um, the Athletic has some independent accusations that were mentioned in the Washington Post article, and I mean, this is—I'll be very curious to see what happens because this is not just one or two isolated incidents where you can fire a person or two, like what the Washington team did over the past week. You don't get to fire a couple of people and make this go away. Right. And that's really going to be the main thing is what is going to change, who is going to change, uh, because things like that are 
difficult to navigate when it's been going on for years because normally the the stated is that there's a zero tolerance policy at most companies it's you get if you're reported for doing that and it's a substantive accusation then it's okay you get one shot to clean up your act at best if it's like a passing remark or something like that it's if it's a severe instance okay you're out of here but uh, to have that go on for years on end, especially if it was some, especially if it were repeat offenders, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that cleans up, especially if those people are by and large still employed. But again, like, I, I hate to say it this way, this isn't overwhelmingly surprising to me because, and this is probably going to get a lot of people mad that love football, but, um, when you and I enjoy football as well. I'm not trying to deride watching the sport. I, I enjoy it a great deal. But when you build an an entire company around playing a game, because we can we can both admit, Chris, that's what football is. Even if it's being done at a very high level of skill that I could never hope to achieve at this point in my life. Um it is a game, and it is a game centered around uh, the more masculine. When you build an entire company around that, and around machismo, basically, if I can say it that way, there is the risk that mannish traits will slip in as well. And I say mannish as opposed to manly. Uh, because when I say mannish, I mean those kind of those lesser aspects of manhood that or those negative traits that are associated with being a man, of being very sexist, of being uh, somewhat chauvinistic, of being boisterous, of being very aggressive in negative ways. As opposed to manly, the associations would be things like valor, fortitude, being willing to like pull up your bootstrap, that sort of thing. So. When a company emphasizes all of this, it doesn't shock me when mannish behavior comes in. And that's not a justification. It's more just, I read that, and while I'm saddened by it, it's one of those, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. What's interesting to me is... Uh, as much as I agree with you on that, as far as I can tell from the article, not a single player was accused. Um, Which is that good. The, it it, it yeah. is a very good thing. But the players, because of uh, what you're talking about, um, you know, if if you were to think about it without really thinking about it, the players are sort of the ones you would think, oh, well, they're the ones that are out there. Uh, you know, they go out and hit people for a living, that sort of thing. And certainly some players uh, have had their issues with women. Uh, if you would like to uh, look at a prime example of that, you can look at a guy named Greg Hardy, um, who is out of the league. Basically, I think he's out of the league at this point. I, I kind of hope he's out of the league at this point. Basically, because he has no idea how to treat women. Um, but in this particular case, as far as I can tell from the article, the players aren't the problem at all. Uh, that it's these top-level executives uh, who should know how to treat women in the workplace. Um, 
you know, in like you said, in the vast majority of industries, there's a no, uh, there's a zero tolerance policy. Uh, but if the people administering the policy um, don't care about the policy, then you know it. Those words are hollow. There's there's a couple of interesting right. things on on that particular point actually in this case. First of all, uh, how to report sexual harassment uh, is only briefly discussed in the manual. It says in the article, and it's never discussed in the team's onboarding process. Um, which you know, anytime, anytime you go through an onboarding process uh, with especially a larger company, um, that's a part of it, and that's a big part of it because that's like you said, there's there's a zero tolerance policy, and so the company wants you to know right away that hey if if you do this you're going to uh, we're we're sending you home uh and if this happens to you we want you to know how to take care of it we want you to know that it's okay to report this we want you to know that we'll support you um especially uh in a situation where historically companies haven't done the best job of supporting women through sexual uh, harassment claims, but want to do better. Um, and so it's never really discussed in the Washington football clubs, uh, in their onboarding process. And then beyond that, apparently the team only had, uh, one HR person, uh, for the entire corporate aspect of the club, if you will, they had one HR person as opposed to a full team. And that one HR person, like this might be a really dumb question, but how many people work on the corporate side? Let like, me uh, let me see if I can't find that out real quick from the article. See if it. Uh, it's like obviously this isn't the case. If it were like a ten-person team, I could understand one person doing HR work. But like generally, I I, I would think like a a twenty uh, like a fifteen to one ratio of like fifteen employees, one HR employee would be preferred once you start scaling out. I'll have to uh, have to see if I can't find anything at all. Um, uh, 220 full-time employees. Okay, yeah, no, that you need a full HR team for that. Like, yeah. That's... yeah, there's uh, there's one HR person and that person would often also have to do administrative duties. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to go through the entire article. Of course, I think it's something that if you want to read, you ought to uh, uh, give Wapo your dollar uh, and read it. Yeah. But uh, find an it, archive it, link. Do not give your yeah, money so, to that company. Well, you know, Jeff Jeff Bezos needs your money. So um, that's uh, it, it. It's something where they're they were never trying to handle the situation uh, correctly. Right. You know, you've got one HR person there. It, it, it's something they just didn't care about. Um, and you don't get to say that you did, and you don't get to say that you cared about these women when you weren't doing even just what we might consider to be the bare minimum and trying to care for them. Um, and, and, right. and, you know, they're your employees. You have a vested interest in their well-being. Um, you have a vested interest in, in, uh, in, in seeing them succeed. And so if you're going to sit there and not have a, uh, a rather robust HR department, let alone a 
you know, a bare minimum HR department, if you're not going to discuss it through onboarding, which is probably tied to the fact that there's no HR department to speak of, really. Um, and if you're going to normalize the objectification of women uh, and, you know, attempt to, uh, you know, romanticize them, and I don't mean that in the uh, in the endearing way, uh, in the workplace, uh, and, you know, threaten them with their job uh, over how they react to it, then good luck. You know, I, I, I don't have, I don't have any issue uh, with these individuals being fired. The problem is, of course, that that's not enough. This is a cultural thing. Um, and so, so there's a couple of points with that uh, that I think are worth bringing up. Um, as far as what's going to happen next, I, I find myself being caught between, uh, caught between two different, uh, two different precedents, if you will. Um, the first is that of the, uh, uh, is that of the Jerry Sandusky stuff that happened at Penn state several years ago. And I'm not saying that this is, uh, the same as that, uh, in the sense that, you know, you had child molestation taking place at Penn State on the part of someone way high up uh, at Penn State. Um, I, you know, that's that's unthinkable. Um, you know, and it is something we don't have to, I, I don't have to sit here and say this is worse than that. They're both bad. But, um, you know, it obviously the situations are different to some extent. But, uh the issue with Joe Paterno, the reason he was let let go, the reason the administration uh, was basically turned over as a result of this is because ev- uh, everyone who was let go or most people who were let go at Penn State should have known. Um, it wasn't an issue that they uh, that they let uh, that that Sandusky did these things on their part. It's that they should have known this. Right. Sandusky would have been culpable either way. But they should have known it, and they should have tried to stop it. A lot of evidence points to Joe Paterno actually having known what happened. But regardless of whether he did know, he should have known. Likewise, the administration uh, at Penn State should have known. And that's also where it comes into play in a uh, a legal setting, you know, is uh, did these people know, and should they have known? Did Dan Snyder, the the, uh, uh, the owner of the Redskins, know, and should he have known? Bruce Allen, the president of football ops, um, almost definitely should have known. It's mentioned in the article specifically that Emily Applegate sat about 30 feet away uh, from Bruce Allen uh, while they were at the office. And, you know, that she would be there sobbing at times, you know, going through these different things. And, and you know, while Allen never directly engaged in any of the inappropriate behavior, he also never did anything to rectify it. That's his job. That that's a part of his job, and so he should have known. Um, and so I think it's like that in that regard. And then the other situation that sort of jumps to the front of my mind uh, is what happened with. Uh, are you familiar with what happened to Donald Sterling in the NBA a few years ago? No. Okay. So Donald Sterling um, was the owner of the uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, this would have been three or four years ago, at least now. Um, uh, he was the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, for a while, 
Um, and it's worth noting that they were rarely ever good uh, under his ownership, kind of like the Redskins under Dan Snyder. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sterling, excuse me, is this the guy that was uh, caught, like he was recorded like against his knowledge, like making some uh, very uh, racist remarks? Yes. Yeah, okay, yes. Is... Then I actually am familiar with it. I just didn't remember the name. It's also worth noting that not a single, uh, not a single player of color uh, who played under him ever felt comfortable playing under him. Um, that he was known for, uh, he was known for racist tendencies, if you will, uh, before that, uh, before those phone calls leaked. And that's something, you know. Obviously, I'm I'm not a huge fan of people being recorded. Uh, against their will, I think in California, it's that that might actually just be illegal. Um, but you know, the NBA came out like 36 hours or something after the uh, uh, after that leaked, and basically said, "There's no place for this guy in our league. He's going to sell the team. We are going to make him sell the team." And on one hand, um, you might look at that and say, well, wait a second, he owns that. How can you force him to sell the team? Uh, and on the other hand, that's actually something that you sort of agree to uh, when you become a team owner in most of these leagues and in most major sports leagues is that if the owners, by and large, want you gone, if they think you're bad for your league, they can force a sale of the team. And so it's it's not something where it's just this illegal uh uh, forfeiture of assets, basically, or a legal sale of assets. Um, you agree to it when you join the league. And they made him sell the team. He, he sold the team to former uh, Microsoft exec Steve Ballmer, um, who is probably the most energetic man ever to own a, uh, a sports team. He is a gigantic goofball. Um, but they made Sterling sell the team, and they made him sell the team uh, over something that wasn't even directly tied to the workplace. Uh, if it's if it is true that Dan Snyder should have known about what was going on and did nothing, and especially of course if he knew about what was going on and did nothing, I cannot imagine him owning uh, Washington, uh, the the football team there for much longer. Um, I cannot imagine uh, him getting treated much better than than Sterling in this case. Uh, because what was taking place, and, and again, you, you can argue about whether or not it was uh, worse in a sort of just objective ethical sense, if you will, uh, but what was taking place in his case was taking place within his organization. It was taking place within the workplace environment he is supposed to foster. It was taking place uh, as a direct result of, of the people that he signs, for whom he signs the checks. And so I'll be curious to see if he ends up uh, being forced to sell the team uh, as as a result of all of this. Um, I'll be a little surprised if he's not. Uh, the NFL is very very aware of its image. Um, you know they've just only recently sort of uh, started to rehab their image from everything that took place uh, from the fallout of the Ray Rice incident, you may be familiar, running back basically was 
caught on camera, uh, basically knocking out his girlfriend unconscious in an elevator several years ago. And he only got suspended, I think, two games for it, uh, which sparked this whole discussion about domestic violence and then, to a more broad extent, the treatment of women by the part of NFL players. And so, like I said, the, the NFL has finally started to rehab its image uh, to where you don't immediately think of that incident when you think of football. Um, I, I, I cannot imagine anyone getting let off the hook easy here, nor should they. I mean, this is something, um, this is something that should have never taken place. It, it, it should be unthinkable in the workplace, you know, say what you will about, uh, you know, how they're going to act outside of the workplace, but how they act, act outside of the workplace isn't really an, uh, an issue as far as the, uh, the team is concerned, as long as they're not just completely destroying their reputation inside the workplace is a much, much different issue. Um, and I, you know, it, it's the, the article, you're going to read it and uh, WAPO doesn't, they, they don't hold back in describing some of the things that were said, some of the things that were discussed, their screenshots of text messages. Like it's, it's, uh, it's honestly kind of gross. Um, and, you know, I just hope whatever ends up happening fits uh, what has been happening because what's happened is there's, there's an absolutely toxic, um, you know, you, you talk about toxic masculinity, and I think both of us uh, might tend to roll our eyes a little bit at that phrase. Uh, but this this might be an appropriate use of that phrase, given everything that's gone on in that organization the past looks like close to a decade. Right. And we'll we'll have to see how this plays out. But as I mentioned uh before the recording, and I may have mentioned it already, this, uh, I do really think that they were seriously contemplating this name change in part uh, to try to direct attention away from this. Because I saw those same rumors uh, coming out about how, like, the name change is a distraction because there's something big that's about to get dropped. So... Hopefully, this will bring about a positive change in workplace culture there, and hopefully, realistically, again, like, I am not by any means a social justice warrior, Chris, you know this, anyone that has spent five minutes around me knows this, I just, I, I do not understand what can drive a man what can drive a, a male of our species over the age of 18 years old in a professional environment to treat, to harass a woman or make like some kind of sideways remark towards them. Like I can understand boys doing that sort of thing because parts of their brain don't work yet. That doesn't make it right. But like with a boy, you can look at them like they're ignorant or, Again, parts of their brain haven't developed yet, and they need to be taught, hey, you cannot do that. But there's a tangible point at which it's just, no, like it's not ignorance. It's not that 
you you have growing up to do it's just it's malfeasance after a certain point and in, in professional environments like people should be treated with decency and courtesy and and, and I say this uh, it's going to sound very odd but I've been catcalled before Chris like as goofy as that sounds um I I've been catcalled and it made me immensely uncomfortable despite the fact that the the girl that did this at the time couldn't have been like over the age of 18 because I was walking to a gas station in a high school town and I just heard a girl make some a very explicit remark towards me and I was thinking it's like okay in the worst case scenario where this uh this uh woman tries to actually make an advance towards me realistically i have options i can get in my car and leave i can i if it comes right down to it i can physically overpower her and stop her because even at my worst physical shape i am twice the size of most women so i can overpower them it's not that hard to do when you're twice someone's size women don't really have that option unless they're just an anomaly. So given how uncomfortable I felt, given that I had options, I had ways of escape, so to speak, I, I can only imagine that it is substantially worse when the person in question doesn't. So I I I get particularly activated about this sort of thing because it's just treat people with decency and courtesy. Insofar well, as you can. And, and it's doubly true if the male in question here uh, in this situation is your superior. Absolutely. Like it's true with the, with, uh, you know, with these women is, you know, they, they feel like not uh, acquiescing to uh, some of the things that are being requested. Some of the things that are being said uh, puts their job in risk and at, at risk and the, sad thing is they're probably right uh whether it should be true or not of course it shouldn't be true but they're probably right that you know there's there's a thousand other people that would love to have their job um and so it's not like the club's gonna hurt to find someone who who would be willing to endure this harassment for the sake of having a job um but the fact is nobody should have to endure this harassment because it, it shouldn't be taking place to begin with. Um, and so, you know, what, one other thing on this point, um, it, I think it's worth noting uh, the Reds, uh, the Redskins, I keep calling them the Redskins are not the Redskins anymore. Uh, just Washington football club right now. They don't have a replacement name, uh, but they have the, a the uh, football club formerly known as the Redskins. It, sure. Uh, and soon to be presented by Amazon, because I am sure Jeff Bezos will buy the team. If Dan Snyder ends up selling it. Um, if, uh, you know, the, the Washington football club just hired a, uh, they hired a new head coach and they hired Ron Rivera, uh, who had been the head coach of the Carolina Panthers since 2011. Uh, you know, Carolina basically cleaned out their closet, uh, this year. They got rid of Cam Newton, cut him. Now he's a new England Patriot. Um, and they got rid of Ron Rivera, who they brought in basically right in time to draft Cam Newton. They'd been with the organization since 2011. Um, anyway, uh, 
Ron Rivera uh, was brought in, and I don't know if he was brought in for this specific reason or if he was brought in simply because he he was arguably the best head coach available this offseason. But Ron Rivera is known in part for being the opposite of everything we've talked about today. Rivera is known for bringing in his family uh, to practice, especially his wife to practice, in part to show his players how to treat women. Uh, Because some uh, professional athletes, as we've already touched on a little bit, struggle with the concept. Um, You know, maybe it's because they didn't really get to see that on the part of uh, a husband or father figure in their own life. Maybe it's because that they've gone sideways in their own life with their own decisions. Whatever it is, he brings in his family, especially his wife, for the uh, primary purpose of showing the players how to treat women. He's known for this. He's known for being one of the most decent people in the NFL. Uh, and it will be interesting uh, to see how the club reacts, and it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to all this. He's, uh, of course, not commenting on it right now because you really can't expect him to say too much about it until um, until the club actually puts out a statement or anything like that. Uh, you know, because if the club tries to deny the WAPO article, then it's it's something where he's he's going to be caught in the middle of all this but uh it, and and it's also worth noting of course he's not been here for any of this uh he's not you know he wouldn't be a part of the problem at all he would have had not even it it's not even that he wasn't a part of it he wouldn't have even been here to know about any of it uh he may have found out around the same time we were unless he was warned by someone coming in but it it's this uh it's this dissonance between the coach they just hired who is the premier family man of the NFL versus an extraordinarily hostile situation toward women uh, and I'll be I'll be curious to see how that specific aspect of it plays out it's also very telling um, that you know he as a coach feels the need to show his players how to treat women it suggests that this is something uh, that players struggle with. And maybe he needs to start bringing uh, his family to uh, board meetings and company meetings, if you will, uh, to show those uh, individuals how to treat women. Hopefully so, because uh, positive role models, positive examples are never a bad thing. Like, just at any point. Like, it is never a bad thing to be a good example. And, I mean, uh, unless you're being a good example of a bad thing, of course, but then that gets into really silly territory. Sure. Hope, hopefully it's, uh, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the team uh, sold. I hope everyone uh, who was involved in this harassment, especially given the uh, the long-term nature of it. I hope everyone who is directly involved loses their job because uh, you don't deserve to be a woman superior if you do not know how to uh, how to properly be their superior. Um, if you're resorting to harassment uh, and abuse, then it, it doesn't matter really who it is. You don't deserve to be their superior. 
Uh, and if Dan Snyder uh, knew about it, then you know I would not mind seeing someone else own the team as opposed to him. Uh, we will see if more news uh, breaks. We may be we may be talking about uh, the same football club again next week, just depending on uh, uh, just depending on uh, if any more news breaks. There's a ton of rumors floating around. Like I said, I'm not going to get too uh, I'm not going to bring up uh, much of that because they are just simply accusations uh, that don't have a lot of evidence to support them. But there's there's a ton supporting this Washington Post article. This is not uh, this is not just one or two women coming forward. This this is you know you've got 15 women. One of them is willing to put their name to it. You've got independent sources verifying it. You've got uh, just just tons of evidence backing up this very toxic culture uh, within this organization. Um, switching gears, Sam, can you tell me why uh, the host of the Masked Singer? was trending on Twitter this week. You're going to love this, Chris. So uh, Nick Cannon, uh, as you mentioned, host of The Masked Singer, he has a few other projects. He has a podcast called Cannon's Class. Pretty good title for a podcast, I think. But um, he uh, recently uh, came into a bit of controversy. Uh, And I'll just, I'll read a couple of select quotes from the podcast, and I think you'll get the idea of why this was a problem. This isn't everything, by the way, but these are just some choice quotes. He said, when you have a person that has the lack of pigment, the lack of melanin, that they know they will be annihilated. So, therefore, however they get the power, they have the lack of compassion. Melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul. We call it soul. Soul brothers and sisters. That's the melanin that connects us. So the people that don't have it, and I'm going to say this carefully, are a little less. Another quote. Um, When they didn't have the power of the sun, they being white people, and apparently Jewish people as well, the sun then started to deteriorate them. So then they're acting out of fear. They're acting out of low self-esteem. They're acting out of a deficiency. So, therefore, the only way they can act is evil. They have to rob, steal, rape, kill in order to survive. They had to be savages, he went on to say. They had to be barbaric because they're in these Nordic mountains. They're in these rough environments, so they're acting as animals. So they're the ones that are actually closer to animals. They're the ones that are actually the true savages. These are real things that a real person really said. Yeah, it's... uh... (sighs) You know, it's something where we've had a significant and good discussion about the treatment of black individuals, um, in particular younger black men, but black individuals uh, in our society, in our nation, ever since the murder of George Floyd, that we've had a uh, we've had a productive discussion. By and large, of course, there have been some unproductive, unhelpful things uh, that have happened too from the fallout of that. But we've had, by, lar- by and large, a productive discussion 
uh, about, you know, about black individuals um, since that moment in time. And certainly on our podcast, we've, we've had that discussion. Um, you know, we've had different articles and, and whatnot. And then this happens and uh, Deshaun Jackson, a wide receiver from the Eagles, uh, made a couple of tweets um, that I uh, uh, that I'll I'll get into in a second, um, and you know we learn a couple of things as a result. <laughs> the first is that certain prominent uh, black individuals uh, have some, whether they knew it or not, when uh, what or rather whether they would call it this or not, have some rather anti-Semitic views. Um, and then furthermore, it runs the risk of not that it should, but in the minds of those who are looking for a reason, uh, to invalidate all the discussion, all the productivity we've had surrounding treatment of black individuals in the past few weeks are going to look at examples like this and sort of invalidate all of that discussion or try to invalidate all of that discussion based off of the anti-Semitic views of a few individuals. Um, Deshaun Jackson tweeted out, let me see if I can get this pulled up. I don't have the full tweets in front of me, um, but he tweeted a screenshot of an Instagram post, I think, uh, where he had a quote where he, that it was falsely attributed to Hitler. And it was a big, long, lengthy quote. And people called him out for it being anti-Semitic. And then he tweeted out later, he said, no, 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 it's not anti-Semitic. And he crossed out everything except for a couple of lines. Uh, and he basically said, this is why I sent it. Uh, and he said, uh, of white Jews, that they will blackmail America, they will extort America, their plan for world domination won't work if the Negroes know who they were. Uh, and then he later said, Negroes are the real children of Israel. Um, and I it totally missed the point. It's like you, you blocked out everything except the anti-Semitic part of what you were trying to say. Um, you know, it, it's... It is baffling to me, um, you know, it, to see these two individuals who are prominent in their respective fields. You know, Nick Cannon is on national television once a week uh, and has been in the national eye basically since the movie Drumline released, right? Um, right. So for like 15 years, 20 years, um you know, he's, and he was on Nickelodeon before that. Like the guy, the guy is a super high profile individual. Deshaun Jackson is one of the most recognizable wide receivers in the NFL. He's known for being one of the fastest people in the NFL. Um, you know, and is known for being when he's healthy an extremely productive wide receiver. And you've got these two extremely, uh, high profile individuals. Um, saying some rather anti-Semitic things. Uh, and the scary thing is, I don't know that they realized when they said it that they were being anti-Semitic. Um, 
you know, that that's sort of the scary thing to me is is Deshaun Jackson doubled down. Yeah. Uh, and he later apologized um, and he ended up being fined and members of the team. Uh, uh, other black members especially have basically uh, come out. Malcolm Jenkins, who I think is the defensive captain, uh, came out and basically said, look, if he, he, he's got some work to do if he's going to come back to this team. Uh, but And a similar thing happened with Nick, where when Viacom, I believe, they outright just, they severed their relationship with him, he doubled down. Uh, said things like, Viacom is on the wrong side of history, they need to respect the power of the black community, that sort of thing. Like, it, it's strange. Like, on one level, I respect it, like, a willingness to just say something so just pants on head insane and then just insist on it. Like I respect the fortitude of it, but just watching people double down on things that like when I when I listen to what Nick had said or when I read Deshaun Jackson, uh I'm not even offended as much as I am just baffled by it. Just absolutely just dumbfounded i look at it and i just like the dial-up tone just starts playing on loop in my brain because that it just drags my mental processes to a screeching halt and that that's the thing is it you know when you double down on it it's like you you no longer get to claim it's a slip of the tongue um you know and at that point you don't even really get to claim like your ignorance is laid bare, but you don't get to claim it either because it's like, no, you, you really believe this. Um, you know, this is something you, you've taken to heart. You think you have good reason for believing this. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a situation where I, I'd be curious to see uh, in, in Nick Cannon's case, he's fired from Viacom. I believe he still has his job with Fox as the host of the mass singer. I believe so, uh, yes. That as of yet, they've not let him go. Um, and, of course, you've got people online screeching in either direction. No, they shouldn't fire him over his personal belief, or yes, they should fire him, or whatever, which Fox is free to handle this however they feel. Um, but that's, man, I, it, it, it's something that is, it's, it's, like I said, it just baffles me. Um you know, and and the comments they they would not in in either case they would never be well received and they shouldn't be well received, uh, but they couldn't have come at a worse time um, than than right now, which is right. you know probably what sparked them because that's how these things work, but it, they they really couldn't have come at a worse time. Uh, you know, they probably felt like, and it's evidenced uh, by their. By their comments, they probably felt like they were trying to, uh, you know, further the discussion. When in reality, what they've done is they've greatly, greatly harmed uh, whatever discussion could have taken place otherwise. And uh, that—that's—that's that's the shame in all this. Is you know, this, this, this is something that people are going to point to, and they're going to say, "Well, why should I treat them any different? Why should I handle things any different if this is what they believe?" And they're going to use these two prominent individuals to say, "Well, this is what they, the black community, believes." 
by and large, the black community does not believe this. Um, you know, you, you instantly had a ton of individuals from every community coming forward and calling these two individuals out for being anti-Semitic, for being racist. Um, but in some people's minds, they're not going to see that. They're only going to see what these individuals said and say, well, that's how uh, the black community really feels. And they or, might not say it, that's how they really feel. Right. Or worse yet, they're going to see how like, a vocal minority reacted. Because like, looking at Nick's Twitter and his tweets, it was interesting to see just walls of people Especially because Nick specifically apologized, I believe the exact wording was for his anti-Semitic remarks, which is important to note. He didn't apologize for the anti-white remarks, but that gets into a whole other can of worms. But it was interesting to see, and again, these are this is lar- this is pretty well anecdotal, but just several several people saying like, you know, it's so interesting, like like. Like as soon as you bring up the Jews, they try to shut you down. Like this sort of thing, like that level of thinking, or people posting, like you know, it's so interesting that they didn't care until he started criticizing the Jews. Followed by the Voltaire quote, which allegedly isn't real, of uh, that's attributed to him of to find out who rules over you, find out who you're not allowed to criticize. Like the gist being that like. You're never allowed to say anything about Jewish people. You're never allowed to criticize the Jews, J-O-O-S. This is just very, Jews control the world, Jews control the media, Jews control, like that sort of conspiratorial thinking. Which, in some circles, isn't overwhelmingly shocking, especially, like, I would be interested to know where Nick is at religiously, or uh, Deshaun. Uh, because that sort of rhetoric is not shocking with Nation of Islam members. Uh, Louis Farrakhan has long, one, he's long been a major leader within the Nation of Islam, but he has also long been criticized for his views on white people. I believe he has referred to white people as demons, as in, like, not as in they're demonic in their actions, but they are actually just demons. But, um... Also, just periodically, like, it does not take much to get him to go on anti-Semitic rants. He'll, or he'll say things like, I'm not an anti-Semite, I'm anti-termite. And then he goes on to compare Jewish people to termites. So it doesn't really help matters any. Well, and it's worth noting that right around the same time, uh, the Deshaun Jackson tweets um, uh, were happening with regard to these, uh, with these, quotes attributed to Hitler, which by the way, why would you, why would you quote something attributed to Hitler? Um, why would you do that and, and ever shed a positive light on it? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand that line of thinking either, but, um, uh, Deshaun Jackson was also quoting, uh, Farrakhan right around the same time. And so, you know, this is something where his views of, Jewish individuals are going to be questioned forever. Um, you know, between quoting Hitler and Farrakhan, or quoting uh, air quotes Hitler and actual Farrakhan on the subject, um, good luck. Uh, you know, this is something where his his image 
which, you know, he's in the public eye. His image matters quite a bit here. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if his views actually change, which hopefully they do, but it doesn't matter if they do. I mean, it, as far as his image is concerned, he will always be viewed uh, as, you know, the individual who posted anti-Semitic tweets and doubled down on them. Um, you know, it's something where I, I Nick Cannon's going to have a hard time rehabbing his image, but he, uh, he in theory could do that. I think, um, you know, this is something that, uh, especially within the context of a podcast, like, you know, it's, you can almost, I'm not saying you should excuse it, but you can almost make the excuse that he, uh, you know, that he started rambling on, if you will. You don't get to really claim that with something you type out. Um, at least not in a concise way. Uh, obviously, when I post an article or something like that, I, I can tend to ramble on and all of a sudden 800 words becomes 8,000 words and that sort of thing. Um, but in Deshaun Jackson's case, it's like, no, you, you said some really, really damaging things. Um, you've uh, and I don't, I don't know really what the penance is here. Um, you know, with the, with the Washington football club thing we talked about, uh, the penance is pretty clear if everything that's, uh, that in, in the Washington Post article is true, right? Uh, everyone involved should be fired. And if Dan Snyder knew about it, he's probably going to be forced to sell the team and then everyone can move on with their lives. Um. Not that it's going to be easy for those women to move on with their lives, but there's some closure there that justice can be served. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what exactly penance looks like because you know these individuals, uh, Deshaun Jackson, Nick Cannon, and uh, and others. Um, you know they can say whatever they want to say. I mean, it's not like they did something illegal necessarily. Um, but as far as the damage that they've done, I don't know what penance for that looks like. Um, I don't know what making that better looks like. I know education is probably a part of the equation here, uh, but that's probably not enough to rehab everything that they've, or all the damage that they've done as a result of uh, what at very best are careless comments. So, But now, and I just want to say like with Nick, especially like, he followed that up with challenges to debate on the matter. Like, did he come onto the podcast and debate it? So I, I can understand saying, like, well, you're the ramble and that sort of thing. But when you're willing to, like, put your foot down and say, no, let's let's go to the mats over this, I that's not careless. Like, I just, I, I want to, I want to be very clear on that. Like, I don't, like, I'm not saying that, like, Canon had like a specific script that he meticulously wrote out here, but sure, it's it's very in, it'll be very interesting to watch this all further unfold, basically. Yeah, and it's I'll, I'll be you know we we've seen some uh, some remarks from other individuals uh, about the issue. Like I said, Malcolm Jenkins basically came out and said you know, he's got to earn his way back on the team after that. Um, of Deshaun Jackson. Um, you know, we've seen other prominent individuals basically come out and say, no, these, these guys don't speak for me. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, like, like you said, we'll have to see uh, what, what comes of all of this because 
I'm, you know, it, it's it's not clear what's going to happen moving forward. Um, you know, and it, it's also not it, it's what what is clear is that they're not alone in their beliefs of this, and and I don't want to. I'm not saying that to suggest that anyone should characterize uh, the black community as a whole. Of course, absolutely. Uh, by saying that, what I'm saying is there are going to be people who do exactly that because of what's happened. Um, you know, there are going to be people who characterize, uh, you know, the black community, black individuals as a whole, uh, as being anti-Semitic when in reality, uh, there, there's a very small percentage of individuals, uh, in our society, um, who are anti-Semitic, who are overtly anti-Semitic, um, and a percentage of that percentage are black individuals. Um, but yeah, at the same time, uh, it doesn't help that, you know, you've got individuals like, uh, Louis Farrakhan, um, who is overtly so, uh, and has people who follow him. Um, and so we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, moving forward, this is not going to help any of the discussion uh, that that's been had nationally, uh, that's been had within our uh, society about our culture in the past couple of months. It's it's only going to hamper it, and that's a shame because I think a lot of the discussion, um, independent of what happens on Twitter, a lot of the discussion has been very helpful, um, and uh, you know we'll. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. Sam, uh, you got anything else for us before we close out? We've been rambling on for about a, about an hour or so. I think we can do this really quickly, actually, just because it's so just... I don't think there's much to be said about it, but the U.S. Conference of Mayors, uh, uh, this is from Discern, Adam Ford's news website, U.S. Conference of Mayors support $6.2 quadrillion in reparations payments to black Americans. Uh, U.S. Conference of Mayors released a letter Monday. Uh, uh, that was uh, July 14th, I believe, uh, uh, that supported a Democratic plan to move towards it, reparations for black citizens uh, with uh, like to basically uh, reparations specifically for being held as slaves. Um, quote from the uh, letter, apparently, or rather this is a quote from uh, Greg Fisher. We recognize and support your legislation as a concrete first step in our larger reckoning as a nation and a next step to guide the actions of both federal and local leaders who have promised to do better by our black residents. And uh, so far, a plan to create the Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act uh, that has been introduced by Representative uh, Sheila Jackson, a uh, Democrat out of Texas, and Senator Cory Booker, uh, a Democrat out of New Jersey. And now, whether the bills that they end up putting forward come out to that dollar amount or not, 6.4 quadrillion. Chris, how much do you think the United States brings in in revenue every year? Not that much. About one point eight trillion, which is less than a percent 
if my math is correct, of 6.4 quadrillion. These are uh, fantasy land numbers. Yeah. Um, that number is interesting. Just, just spitballing here. Uh, I think there are just sort of adjusting for what this year's census is probably going to look like. Uh, it looks like estimates are somewhere right around 350 million Americans or so um, for this right. year's census. Uh, uh, about 13.5% of Americans uh, are black. And so you're looking at uh, ballpark about 45 million uh, black right. Americans. Um, how much is that really large number? Like, now, the, the end result, uh, 6.4 quadrillion. Uh, the plan, the proposed plan would put roughly $151 million uh, to each black descendant of slaves and is estimated to cost $18.96 million per taxpayer. Again, these are fantasy land numbers. Like, yeah. This is this is the kind of thing that makes people that care about monetary policy just just laugh and laugh until they start crying because it hurts so much to keep laughing. But there's also another aspect to this. Um that reparations they're a double-edged sword for some people. I can understand the argument for reparations. I think it can be made in good faith. I think a convincing case can be made for reparations, in fact. Uh, whether I end up agreeing with it or not is a different matter, but I can understand the argument being made in good faith. And I could see it going to a place where I could look at it, well, okay, no, I get it. Even if I think it's, argument. Right. Even if I think it's wrong, or even if I end up saying... I get it, but I don't think we can go that direction. There are, it's a very, it's a minority of people, to be perfectly fair. In fact, I'd say it's a minority of a minority of people. But there are persons who build their entire careers around the perpetuation of keeping tensions around race and the history of race in the United States alive. Uh, Thomas Sowell talks about this, and he speaks in more broad terms, but the idea of there are some people who do not want racism to die because they are able to profit off of it. Uh, there are people who are able to say, there are people who do not want this sort of thing. And the thing is, reparations would be the worst possible thing to happen to those people. Because the idea with a with reparations, it's very similar to settling a lawsuit. Whether you reach an agreement at the end of a court hearing or if you settle, the idea is we cut this check and we both agree that we're going to shut up about this and not bring it up again. And if that's how it goes for reparations... Again, I am not saying that this is a majority position. I am not saying that this is a position that should necessarily be taken. But the thing is, 
a lot of people are going to lose a lot of ground that they depend on to make arguments if every African American in the country suddenly has $151 million in their bank account at the expense of 18 point whatever million dollars from every taxpayer. So, uh, here's a fun thing. Um, you know, you mentioned politicians not, uh, not being able to basically run on the same thing that they're running on if they're if they're running on the thing that if the thing they're running on gets resolved basically i kind of wonder if some of our politicians do the same thing with abortion they do oh yeah yeah no 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 like you don't have to (laughs) you don't have to be coy like you're not going to get me to argue that they they absolutely do because they know there are plenty of people that are single issue voters and if there's an issue that you have to be a single issue voter about, I think abortion's a good issue to pick, controversially enough. Sure. But no, absolutely, that's the thing. Like there are plenty of politicians, and again, this is going to be one of my little anarchy red pills. Politicians promise to solve your problems all the time, and they never do. There are two possibilities, ultimately. And this is, this is going to be my eutropho dilemma of, of politics. Either the politician is incapable of solving the problem that they purport to solve, or they are unwilling to solve the problem. If they are incapable of solving the problem, why should you vote for them? Because they're impotent. They're powerless. If they are unwilling to solve the problem, why vote for them? Because they're malicious, perhaps, even. Either way, the question becomes, why vote for these people at all? Well, and, you know, for freshman politicians, I think, you know, it's it's very much a vote them in and wait and see approach. Uh, But... You know, keeping your same, and generally for the issue of abortion, uh, Republican uh, representatives there, you know, for decades who run on this, it's like, you know, um, you you understand they've had opportunities to get it done and they just haven't. Absolutely. Uh, They've had, you know, we've had every sort of configuration of House, Senate, and President divided by party, divided on this issue. That you can possibly have basically since Roe v. Wade. Um, and it's not gotten done. Um, and it's worth noting on both sides of this issue, it's not gotten done because it's not exactly like on a federal level, uh, things have gotten more progressive either. Um, and so it's a prime example, and reparations are another prime example of politicians capitalizing on your outrage for the sake of political gain. Um, it, it's something where, like you said, it, if that's a single issue, uh, if, if you're a single issue voter, you know, that might be a good issue to pick. Abortion is very much an issue where, uh, depending on what the office is, I can't in good conscience vote for someone who is pro-choice. Now, there are some offices where it just doesn't matter. I do not care what 
uh, many of my most local politicians care uh, view uh, on abortion because it will never impact uh, their policy, uh, at least you know on a certain municipal level or depending on what the job is. Uh, I'm not really all that concerned with what the county sheriff believes on abortion. Um, Joe Jorgensen has kind of caught on to this and basically removed uh, a stance on abortion from the Libertarian Party platform. Um, there, she's not she's not running on a particular position. Uh, at least uh, that's the most recent update I have right. uh, about about the platform. Um, but that, that's the thing is, okay, you don't you don't you're not going to support someone who is is pro-choice. I'm not going to support someone who is pro-choice. But at the same time, voting the same people in because well they're pro-life and you know they they might get it done this time. Um, that's naive at best. It, it's. It's uh, it's proven itself time and time again that, you know, just because you vote them in and they run on that issue doesn't mean they're going to do anything about that issue. And even even in the case of uh, of Trump, and we talked about this uh, not last week, but the previous two weeks, um, even in the case of Trump, a bunch of people voted for him because of, you know, oh, he's going to replace a Supreme Court justice. He replaced two. Yep. Uh He's replaced two. There's speculation that if he gets reelected, he'll be able to replace a third. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll see what happens uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think is specifically who we're concerned about. Um, you know, if if he if he replaces a third, well, okay, don't get me wrong. I, I, I would rather probably him do the replacing than, than Joe Biden, for instance. Um. I don't think that's necessarily a bad reason uh, to to vote for him, uh, or at least a bad reason to use as evidence to vote for him. But at the same time, uh, the same people that voted for him, by and large, would not have agreed with every decision that Neil Gorsuch has made, certainly since he's been on the court. Um, and so it, it it's very much something where you see politicians capitalizing on issues that we hold near and dear to our hearts and they just don't um they they it's not something they care about generally it's something that um they care about only in as much as it gets them reelected uh right. and or just elected and and we'll see um one other point uh sort of tangential to that uh, and it's where i want to close uh did you see what happened in this week's primary runoff uh, for Doug Jones, uh, for the challenge to Doug Jones' Senate seat in Alabama. I knew that it was between Jeff Sessions and someone else and that Trump endorsed the other guy. So and that was kind of this, seen as a blow to Jeff. But So the other guy is former coach of, among other places, the University of Auburn's football team, Tommy Tuberville. Trump endorsed a football coach. The football coach won. Yep. He beat Sessions in the runoff, which was stunning to me. Uh, I think Sessions was expected to win the runoff at some point. Um, That didn't happen. Which, 
is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is a bit of a shame. Uh, I actually quite like Sessions. Um, uh, if for no other reason than the fact that he had the decency to recuse himself uh, from the Russia investigation. Um, like, he... He he suffered a huge political blow in doing that that affected him in the Senate seat, that, mm-hmm. uh, the Senate runoff. I mean, Trump was vindictive enough to where uh, he – Trump will never, ever endorse Sessions for anything ever again. Oh, no. He will anti-endorse him. Uh, yep. Yeah, you know, he will endorse the opposition probably just out of spite. Um, but, yeah, and so – you know, Alab- Alabamans? Is that how we're referring to them? Um, That's as good a guess as I've got. Sure, Alabamans are going to have the choice between Doug Jones, who is vociferously pro-choice, um, or head ball coach Tommy Tuberville, which is quite fitting for 2020. Let- let's be real. Um... You know, I I was visiting uh, my dad, I think it was Thanksgiving of 2018 when you had the, uh, uh, when you had the runoff uh, between Roy Moore and Doug Jones down in Alabama. I think it was 2018. Um, and it was like, you know, neither of these people are people you get real excited about voting about. Um, and so Doug Jones ended up winning a, uh, an historically very conservative seat. Uh, I'll be curious to see what ends up happening um, this time. Uh, you know, uh, Meemaw, Meemaw Ivy's going to have to come out and endorse uh, endorse Tommy Tuberville now, probably. I, I say that endearingly. I, uh, I, you know, I... KIV seems like a, a perfectly decent governor, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, putting aside that she is roughly contemporary with the pharaohs, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's something where she's uh, I don't know. There's there are there are probably twenty five or thirty states that would be better off with her as their governor rather sure. than the person they have. Um, I uh. I, I like Mima. So, um, so well, we've uh, there's a bunch we didn't get to today. Uh, we didn't talk about um, Brian Kemp voiding all the municipal governments' mandates, mask mandates in Georgia, uh, and we didn't talk about Walmart now requiring all uh, masks in all their stores. Um, I'm sure we will have. We can. I mean, we could. We could just pick any random week and talk about masks this summer. I. I think. Yeah. Um, Pretty much. It, there's always something new. But uh, you got anything else in the close here, Sam? Uh, not. Not off the top of my head. Except politicians yeah. don't want to save you. They want to. They want to milk you. Yeah, that's how it works. That's uh, and if you understand that, um. If that is the only principle about how politics work, you uh, you understand you will be a better voter as a result. Um, you will be a more informed voter uh, and a more conscious voter as a result. Thank you for listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast. We'll see you next time.